You're listening to the Abra Money 3.0 show, your guide to the future of all things money. This episode is all about Digibyte. Digibyte is a popular cryptocurrency in Abra. Its design, everything from the way it was initially launched to how it is mined today, makes it extremely accessible. The format for this show will be a little bit different than normal because we combine two interviews into one episode. To kick things off, Abra's Bill Barhide will interview Digibyte founder Jared Tate. In the second half of the episode, Abra's Daniel McGlynn interviews Digibyte advocate and organizer Josiah Spackman. This podcast is powered by Blockworks Group. For access to premier digital asset conferences and in-depth podcast content, visit them at blockworksgroup.io. Before jumping in, remember, the information presented in this podcast is provided for informational purposes only and shall not be used or construed as an offer to sell or a solicitation of an offer to buy any of the financial assets discussed. Any opinions expressed herein are subject to change. Neither Abra nor any of the participants in this podcast make any representation as to the suitability or appropriateness of these financial assets for individual investors. And with that out of the way, on to the show. Hey, everybody. Bill Barheit here. Welcome to another exciting episode of Abra's Money 3.0. So today we're going to talk about Digibyte. So with me here is uh, Jared, the founder of uh, Digibyte. Jared Tate, how are you today, my friend? Doing fantastic. Thanks for having me on, Bill. My pleasure. Uh, you have a very interesting community. Uh, I've, uh, it's the only community that has basically taken my likeness uh, and turned it into probably four different superhero characters, uh, which has caused like unbelievable amount of embarrassment. So I, I want to thank you all from, from the bottom <laughs> of my heart for that. And God knows what, uh, what they're going to come up with when we tell them that we've enabled uh, Digibyte Deposits uh, today, which is um, something that the community has been personally hounding me for uh, for months. And so I'm really excited that one, you get to have Digibyte deposits and two, people get to stop asking me uh, for uh, for Digibyte deposits. Uh, but, but seriously, um, I'm really excited that uh, we're going to be able to announce that we have uh, both deposit and withdrawal uh, support for native uh, Digibyte now in, in the Abra app. So uh, all of you out there who uh, are already Digibyte fans, please dig in. And now what we're going to do is let's, let's talk a little bit about for the uninitiated uh, people uh, out there who don't know a lot about Digibyte. Uh, Jared, I, I wonder if you could just really quickly summarize what's unique about Digibyte versus the other cryptocurrencies that are out there and why should people care? Yeah, so uh, Digibyte originally began in 2014, although we started work on it in 2013. Uh, but the unique thing about Digibyte, besides being almost six years old now, is it's been completely community-driven since the beginning. So there is no company, there is no foundation. Everything that's done with Digibyte is actually completely volunteer-driven and completely open-source and decentralized. And that's why we have such a fantastic, very enthusiastic uh, community. And, and you know, they're, they're spread all over the world. Um, and over the last, uh, you know, almost six years now, Digibyte has made a series of innovations in the industry um, things like real-time difficulty adjustment, uh, which has now been picked up by everyone from Ethereum to Bitcoin Cash, Zcash, and numerous other blockchains. Uh, Digibyte, you know, was actually the first uh, major altcoin to activate SegWit. And we've continued to innovate and pioneer new things. Uh, here recently, uh, in 2019, we just carried out a hard fork um, to add a new mining algorithm. So I, if, for those that uh, aren't familiar, Digibyte has five independent mining algorithms. 
And this latest mining algorithm is called UdoCrypt, which is named after the uh, shapeshifter from Star Trek. And it's actually a mining algorithm that changes itself every 10 days. So it's really not economical or possible to build ASICs for it. And that's actually allowed us to become even more decentralized. Uh, in fact, a recent uh, survey and audit we just did uh, comparing the last uh, three months uh, or a, a recent three-month period of mining on the Digibyte blockchain, what we found is when we compared the same three-month window to Litecoin and Bitcoin, um, we found that Bitcoin only had 60 unique miners uh, during that same period, uh, whereas Litecoin had 251, while during the same time, Digibyte had 1,295. Uh, and we credit a large part of that to, you know, the, the fact we have five mining algorithms and UdoCrypt, which allows uh, basically home-based hobbyist mining again. So, And, and how, uh, if you dig into that, that's fascinating. That's something I hadn't even thought of. Do you know if some of those are pools that need to basically separate their, their mining capabilities across each of the different capabilities you have so that they show up as effectively different miners? Or is it genuinely physically separate entities that are doing this mining? Uh, you know, so what we're actually looking at here to get the metric is actual individual addresses from the coin base of a transaction. Yep. Um, and what, because of the five different mining algorithms, you know, uh, for those that actually, the, the last time we talked, I think we talked about this a little bit. One of the fascinating things, because Digibyte has five independent mining algorithms, you could literally take all the Bitcoin mining power in the world throw it at Digibyte and you would only get 20% of the blocks. So what we're effectively able to do is kind of mitigate the impact that highly centralized ASIC mining has. Uh, and for those that aren't aware, that's actually a huge problem uh, that Bitcoin has right now. You know, you have one uh, worldwide manufacturer that's the largest ASIC manufacturer. Um, and it seems to me from what I've seen, a lot of times they are splitting uh, that mining power across different mining pools. But at the end of the day, uh, those newly mined coins still come back typically to the same addresses over and over again, because these mining pools and these different miners typically aren't changing the addresses. And you can kind of tell what, what type of mining pool it is. Uh, there's some, some technical ways you can see it, uh, but it's a very fascinating metric to look at. Really interesting. So, so what else is new in the community? I mean, what, uh, what's getting you excited these days? Yeah. So, you know, uh, in, in uh, 2014, when we started, Digibyte actually started with the headline. Um, and for those that aren't familiar, the Genesis block is the first block in the blockchain. Uh, and our, our, our blockchain started with the headline, target 110 million customers' data stolen. Uh, so even from the beginning, you know, we've, we've kind of felt that cybersecurity and security in general is really kind of the most innovative thing about blockchain technology. Um, and I actually go into this. I, I actually, tomorrow, um, I'll be releasing uh, my book I've been working on uh, almost for a year and a half now uh, called Blockchain 2035, The Digital DNA of Internet 3.0. Uh, and one of those chapters I have is blockchain is really the evolution of applied cryptography and, you know, and some really advanced mathematical concepts that go all the way back to Claude Shannon. Um, and I feel like there's a lot of very underutilized features. So one of the things we've really been focused on here this last year is something we're calling DigiID. Uh, and the simple way to explain DigiID is you have your typical wallet. So, you know, you have the private keys that are associated with your wallet where you store your Digibytes or your Bitcoin or your other cryptos. 
And those cryptographic keys, the public and private keys, can do a lot more than just sign, you know, send and receive transactions. You can actually use those private keys, uh, you know, in another wallet that you create to, for instance, authenticate yourself to websites and effectively replace passwords. Um, so we rolled that out and it's actually getting a lot of traction. Uh, there's a company in, uh, in, in Europe, actually, called Antum ID. Uh, that's actually getting a lot of traction and interest from governments. Mm -hmm. um, so I think we're going to have a lot more traction with that uh, moving forward as a, as a way, uh, you know, to, to utilize some things in a blockchain that just often aren't, uh, you know, they're, they're overlooked. Um, so that's one area. Uh, another area is we've actually introduced a secondary protocol on, type, on top of Digibyte called DigiAssets. And, uh, you know, it's similar to what you're seeing with like ERC-20 uh, has a similar origin. But the difference is our approach is to leverage some of this cryptography that's overlooked in the blockchain to potentially scale some of these secondary layer protocols for issuing other assets um, in a much, uh, a much more efficient manner uh, than, for instance, like what you're seeing with Ethereum and the scalability problems they're experiencing. You know, I mean, their solutions effectively sharding, sharding the blockchain, yeah. uh, which is, um, you know, splitting everything up. So uh, we, we, we've got that out there. Uh, we've actually got several use cases and projects uh, that are being developed as digi assets. Um, you know, one of the ones I'm excited about uh, that I'm actually personally a part of is something we're calling DigiPad, which is a launchpad for digital assets. And, uh, you know, the way I like to describe it is when people think of digital assets, uh, they tend to think of just cryptocurrencies or maybe, uh, you know, different tokens or stuff like that. But in reality, a digital asset could be a number of different things. Like I, uh, you know, for one, want to be able to take my living will um, or, you know, my passport or my um, birth certificate and store those in a secure digital environment and protect those as a digital asset. Um, so that's, uh, you know, that's one of the things we're working on. Fascinating. So maybe that's a segue. I don't, I don't, I don't know the details, but maybe it is. So you mentioned, uh, or I've heard a rumor, I should say that you've got a book coming out. Yeah. Is that true? Yeah. So the, the, the book's called blockchain 2035, the digital uh -huh. DNA of internet 3.0. And the, the premise of the book is what will the world look like in the year 2035 and how will blockchain come to shape? our everyday lives by then. Wow. And it's, it's really the summation of the last eight years of, you know, experience I've had and in, in the thousands of questions I've been asked. Uh, and as far as I know, it's the first book that's ever going to be written by a blockchain founder. Um, so I, I've been, I actually first outlined it, I think in 2016, and then I started working on it about 14 months ago. Uh, it's about over 500 pages. Wow. <laughs> um, you know, I've actually condensed it a little bit. Uh, there's 18 chapters and we really tried to highlight and to, you know, to, to give people a broad perspective of what blockchain is from the ground up. Um, you know, in the intro and the segue to the book is, you know, why does blockchain matter? Why is it important? Um, you know, I give the example, you know, if, if the, those, everyone that's listening in, you know, if you just picture and imagine all the DNA in your body. You have DNA strands in your hair. You have DNA strands in your legs, your feet, all over. Well, what if all the DNA in your body was just located in your fingertip and you were, you know, let's say chopping some limes for a cocktail or some vegetables and you slipped and you cut your finger off? Well, you'd have a problem. Your body would slowly wither and die. 
uh, and it just wouldn't be good. Well, that's kind of how we architect all of our data systems today. You know, we have all these centralized points of failure uh, that get hacked, that get stolen, that get manipulated. Um, and so what blockchain really is, is it's a paradigm shift in the way we handle data and in computer science that in a lot of ways mimics nature. Um, and we go through, you know, some blockchain basics, some terminology, and then we go into, like I mentioned earlier, you know, blockchain is really the evolution of, of applied cryptography and mathematics. And so we go into the history of like, uh, you know, Claude Shannon and information theory. And then we go through a lot of the key pioneers um, where what we call subsystems came from. So the way we also compare it is uh, if you think of a blockchain like a car, you have brakes, you have an engine, you have uh, air conditioning, you have all these subsystems. Well, just like that, you have these various subsystems in a blockchain. So you've got the, you know, the transaction validation, you've got uh, the peer-to-peer -peer networking, you have the consensus algorithm. And all those different components um, came from different mathematical and cryptographic pioneers uh, you know, over the last 50 years. So we go through and we talk about some of that. Um, and what I actually just found recently, we talk a lot about uh, Dr. Ralph Merkel, who's actually the creator of the Merkle tree, which is the main data structure in a blockchain, and also the father of public and private key cryptography. Um, I actually found after I'd written all this stuff about the nature example, he'd actually written a similar example. So that was actually fascinating to get that reinforced. Um, but yeah, the, we go through that. We talk about in the book how um, blockchain can be a rails for artificial intelligence uh, because one of the problems in AI is how do you trust your data feed and your data sources? Um, you know, we, we go in and we talk about the history of timekeeping, uh, timekeeping in computer systems, timekeeping in celestial navigation in the 1600s, and how in a lot of ways a blockchain is actually the first time humans have actually been able to keep accurate records in history that are, that are undeniably provable. So, um, you know, we talk about uh, the future with quantum computing, uh, we talk about uh, probably one of the most interesting things is uh, is how blockchain is going to become a uh, um, a, com a competition among nation states. Um, so I actually I had a co-author. I, sh I should have mentioned that uh, his name is Andrew Knapp, and he's actually a former FBI analyst. So um, a lot of the geoeconomics, geopolitical stuff. Um, you know, uh, was written by him uh, with, with my, I guess, blockchain perspective. So it's a very dynamic book that goes through a lot of different areas. And I guess that's how it ended up being over 500 pages. Fascinating. So uh, when, when you go out 15, 20 years, right, you have to start to think about the singularity and what happens when uh, you basically have this intersection of exponentially uh, improving technologies like uh, you know, CPU performance, storage, um, you mentioned quantum computing, and all of these software technologies around cryptography and, and, and you know, blockchain, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, how can one possibly have any opinion as to what will happen if we have a sentient uh, computer system that can make decisions at a rate that's doubling uh, every 18 months? I mean, it's, it, it's pretty bold, right? Well, see, and this is one of the arguments in the book is uh, in order to be able to successfully implement a lot of these systems, you need some way to keep these AIs in check. And, and 
and secure them, right? And by running uh, and configuring this to run on a blockchain, you could effectively do a number of things. Um, you could, if it has to, you know, tie back into the chain, effectively put a kill switch in in it. You know, um, that's one of the use cases. But there's uh, there's a lot of fascinating things that can get there. Um, you know, but I think after after you know writing the book and going through it, the biggest question and the biggest unknown unknown is definitely quantum computing. Uh, how that will shake out and affect, uh, you know, because here recently, I think it was D-Wave uh, just announced that they'd uh, commercially sold the first 5,000 uh, Quibit, um, you know, quantum computer to a national laboratory. So, uh, you know, a lot of the, the theoretical calculations for cracking like SHA-256 were roughly in that area. Now, obviously, there's we, we go into the book, there's different types of quantum computing and different approaches to quantum computing. So not all quantum computers are, are, are created equal. Um, but it, to, to me, that's the biggest gray area, you know, you know, moving into the year 2035. Uh, fascinating. So um, are you going to do a book tour of some kind? Or are you going to make the, the rounds in the conference circuit? What's your plan? Yeah, yeah, we'll be doing a series of events uh, throughout, uh, starting probably at the end of November and December, and then into the spring. So we haven't really got a, a finalized list yet, but uh, we will be doing that. Uh, we'll actually be putting uh, by the time you know, or for those who are listening to this right now, if you actually go to blockchain2035.com, uh, there'll be a series of videos. Uh, you know, we're doing shorter videos. We're putting them out on social media, talking about different concepts, different. Um, uh, chapters in the book. And then what we're really trying to do is to, to, to have the book uh, in a way be like the, the industry guide. Um, you know, obviously there's some stuff about Digibyte in there, but 95% of the book is about the industry at large. It's not just focused on Digibyte. It's, it's focused on, I, I think we've probably surveyed over a hundred different um, uh, projects and protocols. You know, one of the distinct things that actually I think would be good to, uh, to talk about is in the book, we make the distinction between a blockchain protocol and a blockchain project. And I think that's something a lot of people get confused by. Uh, and what we're calling a blockchain protocol is a blockchain that has its own unique network that doesn't rely on any other blockchain uh, network or system. Um, and then a blockchain project... Effectively, like it, it, it's own universe, effectively. Effectively, yes. And so when we split chapter nine and 10, we're like, we really need to clear up because so often you get people that'll compare, like, for instance, Tether uh, to, you know, even Digibyte or Bitcoin, when in reality, Tether is issued on top of Bitcoin and is dependent upon the Bitcoin blockchain. Um, and so there's a lot of projects out there that people aren't aware of that are actually uh, relying on the underlying security of another blockchain protocol. So we go through and we analyze. And the main difference between most protocols is actually the consensus algorithm that they're using and their approach to uh, you know, achieving consensus. So we split that up for projects and we're calling projects anything that's built on another you know, blockchain universe. <laughs> Um, or, or even, for instance, we talk about Abra and, and what you guys do. So we go through wallets, we go through exchanges, we go through gateways. Um, there's probably over 100 different things that we go through, you know, just really trying to organize, categorize the industry and the applications moving forward. So we've got a chapter dedicated to financial applications. 
uh, commercial applications, government applications. We talk about voting systems on a blockchain, a whole number of things. So it's a very, very thorough book. And, and I guess the, the, the idea originally is to take all the different things that I've, I've been lucky enough to uh, be a part of and just kind of put them in one area as a resource for people. That's awesome. So obviously, uh, what, what's the name of the book again? Before I move on, blockchain twenty thirty five. Blockchain twenty thirty five, and you can go to blockchain twenty thirty five I is it on Amazon Books as an ebook? Is that how it works, or is it a free download? How, yeah, how it yeah, it'll it, it'll be on there, so it'll uh, you can find it on Amazon. Awesome. Um, well, look, this has been it's always fascinating to talk to you. I'm always uh, always interested by what you're working on. I find it, uh, like I said, truly fascinating, and I'm a big fan of uh, the Digibytes community. I think. Uh, uh, we need more competition in these protocols that will move the the, the entire space forward uh, in terms of uh, taking risks on on new technologies and and addressing some of the the centralization problems. I also f- firmly believe that um, there is a scale of decentralization and more decentralization and more security uh, are better, but. We also basically need at the same time to think about performance to make this stuff useful. And so in that regard, I just uh, I have nothing but respect for uh, for what you do and and for the whole community uh, at large. So thank you very much for your efforts. Yeah, thank you. Thank you for supporting Digibyte. Um, like I said, I know the community is, is very excited about Abra. So uh, looking forward to, to what you guys are doing as well. Well, let's wrap there. So, uh, Jared Tate, thank you so much for joining uh, again. And uh, we look forward to having you on again in the future. We'd love to hear how things are going with the book. Um, what's your Twitter handle for people who want to want to follow you? Yeah, it's uh, at Jared C. Tate. Um, and you can also follow at Blockchain2035. Uh, so, you know, we're actually going to uh, start a, a newsletter and a blog and we're going to keep creating uh, and, and this book will be updated over time. We'll revise it over the years um, and we'll, we'll keep adding and, and refining it. Fantastic. Did you know that Digibyte, along with many other popular cryptocurrencies, is now available for deposit and withdrawal from the Abra app? In the second part of this episode, we're going to hear from Josiah Spackman. Josiah is based in New Zealand and he's one of the people working to make Digibyte a powerful, global and completely decentralized network. Yeah, we're really excited to talk uh, to, to you today about Digibyte and some of the community aspects of Digibyte and uh, and some of the things that really kind of makes Digibyte unique. Um, but I guess before jumping into that, I really kind of wanted to just talk to you about, um, you know, maybe you can explain to us how you started, how you first got involved in crypto and how you first came to the Digibyte community. Right. Well, the, the, the title of the show, Money 3.0, I suppose, is quite... Uh, relevant, given that I had heard from a friend of mine that I could use my computer and use my graphics card to print money. And I thought back at the time in sort of late 2013 that that was the greatest thing ever. I was so excited for that. But uh, so I, I got involved. I actually ended up going out and buying a couple of graphics cards to mine Bitcoin. Unfortunately, that was right as the first FPGAs and ASICs were hitting the market. And so that quickly turned to a bad idea. But I found Litecoin, and, and I, I sort of saw it, and I thought, this is faster. It's uh, going to have a bigger maximum supply, and, and I'm a clever guy. That seems like a good idea for global adoption. So I started mining Litecoin for about a month, and then I came across Digibyte. They'd just been doing some philanthropic work and had recently done their first protocol upgrade. And again, the same sort of thing, faster, bigger maximum supply, a whole bunch of other cool stuff. And I thought, you know what? This seems like something that I could get behind. 
so obviously here we are today in late 2019. Uh, I took a little bit of a sabbatical from it uh, a couple of years back, but have been back and involved ever since. Unfortunately, the whole printing money didn't really quite work out too well for me, but still having <laughs> a great time nonetheless. Yeah. And so, um, so what kind of maybe paint a picture of your role with Digibyte today? What what kinds of things are you working on um, with Digibyte and the Digibyte community? And maybe it makes sense too for our listeners to kind of back up a little bit and just explain um, how the Digibyte community works first, and then and then we can talk about uh, some of the projects you're working on. Yeah, sure. So that's probably a good idea if we if we do go back and and kind of look at how the Digibyte community works first, because. That would explain why I have been given the title of Chief Fun Officer. So the Digibyte community isn't a formal hierarchical kind of company in the traditional sense where you have a CEO sitting at the top and everybody else kind of reports to them and things. It's a very new way of operating. So not that there's anything wrong, obviously, with having a company and having people who are say, for example, project leads or a CEO. But this is obviously a very different way of doing things with the Digibyte blockchain. Being a permissionless project basically means that there is no permission required. It is implied. So oftentimes we'll get people who will come to us and will ask, hey, I'd like to build on top of the Digibyte blockchain for my project, for my company. Who do I need to see about getting permission? The simple answer is you don't need to see anybody at all. Anybody can do that. The permission is implied. And as such, the same thing goes when you are starting up a YouTube channel. Again, the permission is implied. Or Mm -hmm. talking with Abra on their Money 3.0 podcast, the permission is implied that you can speak on behalf of Digibyte. So that's really quite cool having it. And and I suppose this is a, a, a real mind shift for a lot of people compared to what they're used to traditionally. But so to then come over to this kind of a thing, it's it's very, very different. And it's it's quite exciting to to have that kind of that freedom and that liberation. So, yeah, in that kind of a vein, I am everything from technical support in our support channels. Uh, I write integration guides. I do daily YouTube updates to keep people informed with what's going on with Digibyte, all of the progress that we've made over the last sort of 24 hours and things. And all of that kind of thing all together uh, kind of, I suppose, sums up my role. There's no individual single title. <laughs> mm-hmm. And and so maybe we could talk about what the Digibyte community, because, you know, we keep sort of saying the Digibyte community, but wh- what does that look like? So it's, it's global, right? And um, do you have any um, information in terms of like, the number of people that are kind of active in developing on Digibyte or, um, or otherwise yeah, well, just kind of, hard of things, I suppose, with uh, that kind of a metric, especially when you start looking at the number of nodes and things, people come to us and they'll say, how many nodes are on the Digibyte network? Mm-hmm. And that's a really difficult question to answer because that would imply that there is a central entity that everybody checks into. But if you have that kind of a central entity, That's also a point of failure, like a point of weakness that could be used to attack the network. Hmm. So as such, we have no definitive answer on exactly how many people there are on the network, how many people there are utilizing it and things like that. And I think that's actually quite cool from a privacy perspective as well as a like a redundancy and a security perspective. So there's there's definitely benefits and definitely downsides to that. But we do have a very broad community. For example, we know that on just one of our platforms, we have 
uh, over 300,000 people following us on just one individual platform. If you couple in things like Twitter, for example, where there's 150,000 followers there, you, you kind of you start to get a bit of a, an idea of, of the, uh, the size of the community. The distribution, though, is what really impresses me the most, uh, especially when we do things like we find out that the most common place to purchase Digibyte with fiat is actually in Turkey. And so we've got this really interesting kind of thing going on, I suppose, where Digibyte is taking off quite broadly, especially in the greater Europe area. And for a lot of people, obviously, being in America or myself in New Zealand, it's it's kind of eye-opening to think just how broadly we are actually using Digibyte. If we were from New Zealand, Australia, America, uh, throughout Europe, uh, and even in a whole lot of developing nations as well. For example, in Venezuela, where we've done some previous charitable work there. So it's really exciting stuff. And, and it's it's definitely mind-blowing to see just how distributed the network is and how many people are using it from all over the world. And do people, when you're when you're communicating with other Digibyte users and, and talking to the community, do you have a sense of... Um, how people are using it or, or like what's the dominant use case? Is there a dominant use case or are people using it for all kinds of, um, all kinds of things? Yeah, absolutely. So it, I mean, the primary one that everybody thinks about when they think of blockchain is they think of Bitcoin and they think of money. And so money is definitely a big part exchanging value from one side of the globe to the other. Uh, for example, I, I have a friend who is in Russia and in order to send money to him, rather than going through an alternative provider that people would traditionally use uh, for banking, for example, it's a lot easier for him for me to just send him Digibyte. And the great part is as soon as we hit send, it's it's basically there and it he gets a confirmation on the blockchain pretty much straight away. So there's no worrying about is it going to actually go through? Is it going to time out? It's just it's there and he loves it. So we see a lot of that kind of thing, and it was one of the main reasons why we we did that charity work, like I mentioned, in Venezuela, was because of that speed and the, the low fees around it. So when we're giving Digibytes to these children in an impoverished school, they're able to then use that to learn about cryptocurrency, to learn about blockchain and a whole lot of other things in a really kind of fast manner without it costing them and without it eating away at all of their their digibyte through transaction fees so that was quite exciting for us but i suppose the main other uh, way that we're using this a lot right now would be through digital assets on top of the blockchain so that's something that's really started to take off in the last couple of months and we're seeing a whole ton of amazing different use cases and scenarios that are are popping up in that kind of vein but one of the other more common ways now that we're seeing in the last kind of couple of months crop up is definitely with our digi assets and using these digital assets on top of the blockchain to do everything from shares in a company through to uh, advertising and, and a whole lot of more interesting ways, like everything from a, say, for example, a movie ticket through to an airline ticket through to a season pass to a like a what do you call them? A, a musical event. So we're using these digital assets and they're starting to crop up everywhere. And it's great to see them. And some of the ways that they are providing for people in terms of like a global funding method for business and entrepreneurs is also really exciting as well. So why would people um, using that, that um, the asset model, like why, why would people do that? Like what's the advantage of having an asset 
on the Digibyte blockchain versus just having it sort of be a traditional asset? Yeah, and I mean, that's a great question. And in fact, for us, one of the reasons uh, that comes to mind immediately is a shrimp and crab farm that's being operated out of the Philippines. And so for them to grow and bring their company into the next level and to take on additional staff and to purchase more land, they needed enough income that they weren't able to get locally through a traditional kind of a loan method. However, they put enough of a business case together and they presented it to the Digibyte community and basically said, this is what we want to do. This is how we want to grow. This is our thoughts. Who's up for helping fund this? And the idea being that with these Digi assets, what they'll do is based on the profits that they make uh, every quarter, they will then send those funds to the holders of that digi asset. So let's say I have two of these assets and you have 10 of them. What they would do is if they made uh, a certain number of digibyte, they'll split that. And so I'll get uh, uh, the percentage of it, so one fifth, and you'll get the remaining four fifths. And so that'll show up in your digibyte wallet that's holding that digi asset every quarter as they as they pay it out. So really cool kind of funding method there for for growing a business and and building both in the traditional world as well as in the digital world at the same time. I think that's absolutely fantastic. Yeah, that's really interesting. Um, and is Digibyte, from, from some of the reading I've done and, and looking at Digibyte, it seems like uh, security is, is kind of a major component of, of some of the things that people are building with Digibyte. Do you, do you see that yes. in the community as like a, a theme or, or something that people are interested in? Yeah, for sure. Absolutely. And especially with our DigiID authentication protocol is very much become a core kind of pillar, I suppose, for Digibyte, the, the whole idea of security. In fact, in the Genesis block, when Jared Tate was originally creating the blockchain, he put in there that it was a target data stolen from millions and millions of users. Now, the reason that he put that in there was wanting to instill a focus on cybersecurity and yeah, I'm pretty pleased to say, I guess we're now six years down the line uh, as of January, and that will be still a very core main focus for us, not just in the way that the blockchain is being utilized with things like DigiID for uh, secure login and authentication, but also in the actual way that we've gone and grown and split our proof of work from just being a single algorithm to being multi-algorithm, uh, our multi-shield proof of work uh, difficulty adjustment the way that we're now specifically choosing to focus on certain ASICs, certain FPGAs, and we're bringing back GPU mining as well. So all of this together, the, the focus definitely is on security for sure. And you mentioned you, you kind of got interested, your own background, you got interested in cryptocurrencies first at uh, kind of, um, you know, figuring out how to, how to mine them and, and, and interact yeah. with them. Um, and it sounds like, um, Digibyte is kind of going through the effort of, of making sure that um, people interested in participating in the Digibyte network will have will be able to access it from multiple multiple different mining methods. Could you just talk about that a little bit? Yeah, absolutely. So I, I presume now for for the listeners who are are uh, maybe in their car or they're at the gym and they're they're listening in, you've got a computer that you're recording this on or a laptop, right? Yeah, so in, inside of that computer, you're going to have a graphics card. Now, in order for you to participate in the security of the network and begin mining, all that you need to do is download and run some software. There's basically no sign-up process or anything along those lines. There's no having to go to an exchange and swap out Bitcoin, for example. So 
in order for you to begin participating and to get involved with the network, GPU mining is actually a really quick and simple way to get people interested and distribute the network as well for that security. Because you have uh, a computer, and I've got a computer that I'm recording this on, and it's got a graphics card in it, I'm then further contributing to the decentralization by mining from this, whereas if you have the likes of ASICs, they are traditionally in a large farm in a data center. Uh, so for, for people who are not familiar with it, think of basically like a really, really great big tall warehouse with just racks and racks and racks of these small little devices. And that centralizes the mining a lot, and that then becomes a point of weakness. So that's one of the reasons why GPU mining is something that we are looking to bring back because it, it helps to onboard people nice and easily. It contributes to the decentralization of the network with a broader number of participants uh, contributing to the mining. And as such, that then contributes to the security. So it's a win-win-win situation there. Yeah. Yeah, and I, I think it's, um, it's interesting too, just that um, I think, you know, as, as sort of a, a point of entry, I guess, um, uh, people can come with their GPUs and start mining, but then um, as they become more sophisticated or other, uh, you know, sophisticated miners can also participate in securing the network and, um, and keeping Digibyte running. So that's, that's kind of an interesting model. It'd be, it'd be cool to just kind of watch that over time unfold and, and see what that looks like. Yeah. And so, I mean, well, I mean, I guess the great thing is, is that we've been multi-algorithm now for uh, several years. And so, what we saw is the progression over time with certain algorithms that change from being GPU mined into being ASIC mineable. Now we're bringing back GPU mining uh, because it is a nice way to easily onboard people. People will probably hear like me, hey, you can go along and you can convert the energy that you're uh, basically purchasing from your, your power company. Your graphics card can then run some computations, some math and contribute to the security of the network and you will be rewarded and given back Digibyte. So it's a really simple way to get people on board and interested in using the network more so than any kind of like ASIC would. But at the same time, we're also still mindful that ASICs provide a ton of security. So having our multi-algorithm approach where we can use all of the above is absolutely fantastic. And I think really sets Digibyte apart. So I, I guess I'm really just curious about the, the Digibyte community. Um, you know, at our, from our vantage point here at Abra, we um, we hear from the Digibyte community all the time, and we're kind of aware that there's this very engaged uh, global community working on Digibyte. But what's super interesting to me is there's right. no like formal corporate structure. It's not like um, you know pay, people are paid to do marketing activities or or you know paid to do all this outreach. Sure. It's just kind of happening very organically on this very distributed, decentralized network. And so I'm kind of just curious, could, could you sure. tell us more about like how the actual community works? Like where are people coming from and, and um, what, like how do they get involved in projects and, and just how does that all work? Right. So it's definitely a very grassroots movement. And I think the, the fact that there was never any kind of an ICO and the fact that people only have skin in the game based on what they've actually put in really kind of helps us. I mean, it's a blessing and a curse at the same time, because let's be honest, it would be fantastic to be able to have a slush fund that we could then use to throw at a whole bunch of people and make certain things happen, like developing certain applications or protocol improvements and things like that. But we simply don't. There's there's no 
big pre-mine. There's no founder's reward. There's no uh, block rewards that are going off to a certain entity or company. It is 100% grassroots. And so it's really interesting because that also levels the playing field. Mm. And it's not something that a lot of people who have joined and become part of the cryptocurrency movement in the last few years have rarely seen because a lot of people simply see ICOs and they see these big projects that have billions and billions of dollars in the bank account. And so this is, I suppose, where, where the curse side of it kind of comes in because it would be nice, like I mentioned, to be able to do that. But as a result, we have this passionate community who simply believes in it because they can see the the advantage of the technology, the advantage of doing things the right way and not... Uh, I suppose just throwing money at the wall and seeing what sticks sort of thing. So it's, it's hard, but I think that this is personally, I think that this is the best way of doing things. And it excites me because we get that from the community as well. The community comes to us from all over the world, like all over the world. They'll find us through Facebook. They'll find us through Twitter. They'll find us on Reddit. They'll come across us just by doing Google searches and they'll join and they'll get involved and they'll see that grassroots movement and they'll see that, hey, look, they are on exactly the same page and exactly the same standing as the founder of the project. So one of the interesting things actually that not a lot of people know is the recent upgrade to AutoCrypt uh, was done mostly without the the founder's involvement. So Jared Tate, who created it, is still actively involved to this day and he still commits code. But the actual AutoCrypt upgrade that we did for our network, replacing one of our algorithms, um, he was basically just kind of off to the side doing other things. And he just said, hey, look, you guys go and do this and, and you know make it work. It's part of the whole idea of decentralization is that we don't have to go to any individual uh, for for permission. So yeah, we did. We went off and, and uh, several of us went through the whole the process and got it going and got it working and got it on testnet and got it pushed live. And it's, it's amazing to see how somebody who is the founder and somebody who is new to the space are both on that same kind of standing and that same level. It's very liberating and it's an incredible uh, difference from a lot of other projects out there. So I, I think the fact that Abra sees that kind of thing is fantastic. I love it. Yeah. And, it yeah, and I, I think like that, that kind of um, spirit, I guess, of, of the permissionless um, participation and just the, the overall uh, distributed nature of Digibyte is really in my mind, what, what makes it kind of a unique project. And also, um, you know, adheres to a lot of, um, I think, why, why people are attracted to cryptocurrencies in the first place. Um, just this idea of... You know, a new way of doing things with cryptocurrencies. Yeah, exactly. it's, it's kind of an alternative. Um, uh, but it's an alternative that you can participate with other people, kind of all sort of incentivized and, and working towards um, the same goal, uh, but across the whole planet. And I think that's, that's really cool. So I'm also really curious about... Um, how how people can come to cryptocurrencies maybe without being developers or have a deep background in um, you know computer science or, or programming do you, do you see people come to to digibyte without sort of that technical background but they're really passionate and interested about um, just sort of achieving some of these goals of of you know alternative economic structures and, and ways to um, send payments around the world, you know, in, in a way that's cost effective mm-hmm. and, and fast. Um, do, do you see that kind of thing yeah. happening? 
Yeah, and it's funny as well, based on the way that you're kind of phrasing it, it almost makes me feel like the the image of Digibyte is that there are tons of developers and people are constantly building on it. And, and I mean, that that's very much the reality. There, there are companies that are out there that are building on top of Digibyte that we don't even know about, but we can see certain things happening on the blockchain. And in fact, a, a quick little story, a friend of mine actually came to me a little while ago um, that I know in real life, he goes to my church and he basically says to me, he's like, hey, so I wanted to ask you a quick question about Digibyte. And I was like, oh, cool. Yeah. Hey, look, that's that's my, I know. And and he says, I uh, just wanted to ask you about this. And I said, that's that's an interesting question. Why are you asking about that? He said, oh, look, we've, we've been running stuff on top of Digibyte now for the last six months. And I was like, hey, that's really cool. I mean, I didn't know. I would have loved to be able to tell people and tell the community. But at the same time, this kind of fits in with the whole, there is no central point of authority. There's no asking for permission. And so very much with the developers versus people that are coming that don't have that kind of computer science background and things. Sure, uh, we, we do have developers who are working on things like the applications, who are working on uh, maintaining the website, who are working on building the core protocol and things like that. But they are definitely the minority. They're, they're only a small handful compared to our vast and broad and incredibly passionate community of hundreds of thousands, if not millions. I mean, that's the thing. We only know about those hundreds of thousands because they've specifically chosen to subscribe to certain social media platforms and things. You don't have to, and there's nothing forcing somebody to do that. And so we know that it is even broader than that. So yeah, most of the community comes along. And in fact, the the definite vast majority, like 99% of them, I would argue, come along without any kind of uh, formal training in like programming or anything along those lines. And so I would encourage people if they are listening to this and you're not a developer, you're not a programmer, that's totally okay. If you're looking to contribute to Digibyte, do whatever it is that you do best, you do that. So if you're really good at sales and marketing, Maybe you're, you're the kind of person who'd like to go into a company and say, hey, look, would you be interested in, in taking Digibyte as a means of payment? Or maybe you're, you're not that way inclined. Maybe you're a little bit more shy. Maybe instead you'd rather just talk with your friends and family about it. Maybe, look, the thing is, is people don't actually have to do anything at all. You can simply just use the network. And if you don't want to do anything over and above that, again, that's totally cool. We're a permissionless project. And you do whatever it is that you do best. And if that's just using the network, hey, look, great. I'm, I'm so, so pleased that people are getting value out of it. And that, that excites me. I love that. I think that's fantastic. And is there a main place? So let's say, you know, I'm listening to this episode and I'm, I'm excited and I want to get involved in this, this community. Um, is, there, is there like one place that people um, kind of start out or, or like get involved in the, that sort of distributed community or, or is it, as you're mentioning, like you can come at it from all different angles and eventually people just kind of find their fit and find where they, you know, the, the things they want to work on. Yeah, exactly. If, if there is something that you want to participate in, uh, to be honest, the most common places where we end up meeting up with people is both on Twitter and also on Telegram. We've got a large kind of community that is congregated on Telegram. Uh, I also know, though, that there is a large and thriving community on Discord. I'm not actually a part of that at all myself, but I know it's there. And I know that a lot of people who use Discord are on there and are happy and they're communicating and they're developing stuff. Same for on Facebook. There's actually quite a, a growing community on Facebook and Instagram and even on Snapchat. People follow certain accounts to stay up to date. So whatever works best for you, I think, is probably one of the main themes that, that I see coming through with Digibyte lately is 
the the choice and the option for people to do whatever it is that is going to be best for them rather than what they've been told to use. So if you want to use Telegram, you want to jump on there and say, hi, that's absolutely fantastic. And we're there. And hey, look, we'll have a great chat and, and we'd love to help you out in any way that we can. But if you're on Discord, that's cool. Join the Discord community. If you're on Reddit, join the Reddit community. Great. And so what do you think, um, what, what's uh, kind of on your horizon for, for Digibyte? What are the, the projects um, maybe that you yourself are really interested in that, that are coming down the pipe or, or that you feel like the community sentiment is just really excited about um, the, the, the next Digibyte pro, uh, project? What does that look like? Oh, that's a really good question. Uh, the immediate future is going to be the likes of the upgrade for the network to use the ProgPow GPU mining algorithm. That's underway as we speak. So that's super cool. I'm so excited for that. Bringing back GPU mining both so that we can use it as a way to easily onboard people, allowing people to contribute personally to the security of the network, but also as a way to further decentralize the network and to increase the security. Again, we come back to like we talked at the very beginning, security is a a core focus for us. And I think that's really quite cool. But the other main things that are coming up. So if we were to look forward a little bit uh, into say 2020, for example, uh, we're, we're doing great things with digi assets. And so right now we're working on ways that we can incorporate video into them. We're working on ways that we can incorporate uh, private and authenticated access through digi assets. So for example, if there was a like a comic, for example, that you had the digi asset for, you would have to authenticate with your digi asset and prove that you own it before getting restricted access to this private area that allows you to see this comic, for example. And later on as well in 2020, one of the things that we're actually looking at quite seriously is quantum resistance. And in terms of what parts of the blockchain need to be upgraded to achieve that kind of quantum resistance. Yeah, I think that's another really interesting application for Digibyte that we haven't really touched on, um, but something that um, I feel like is is kind of a growing um, interest uh, in the crypto community uh, more broadly is just this idea of digital ownership. Yeah, and that's exactly that's So what we've got with our Digi ID is it's basically just a really pretty front end for public private key cryptography, just like you have with your sending and receiving of Digibyte or Bitcoin. But instead of using it to authenticate that you have access to these certain addresses, we are now doing it to allow users to pseudo-anonymously log into a website. Now, I say pseudo-anonymously because each website or each application gets a newly generated address based on your private keys. So you cannot ever have, say, for example, when you go to a website right now, you'll sign in with bob at hotmail.com. And if you go to another website, again, you'll reuse that same username. And we, we see things like we see websites getting hacked and people's usernames and people's passwords getting put out onto the internet. And even like advertising profiles being built across multiple websites, simply based on the fact you use that same username. Because DigiID is pseudo-anonymous, because it uses a randomly generated address for each uh, website, people can't build that kind of an advertising profile around you. It's, it's anonymous unless you specifically give each individual service that information about you. They simply don't have it. All that they have is a random string of letters and numbers that identifies you. And so if you put a name to it, then that's great. But there are a number of websites we're seeing that don't require any kind of a name or anything at all to 
to start to use them with DigiID on the Digibyte blockchain. So that's really quite cool to see that kind of security and the privacy aspect of it as well being taken very seriously. Yeah, that, that is interesting. And and that's something that I, I think I'm going to just keep an eye on personally over the next uh, several years is how, how the <clears throat> kind of the way we the way we use the internet will change because of these, um, these technologies. And I think change for the better in terms of, especially in terms of, um, you know, just digital ownership and, um, keeping control on, uh, of your identity across, you know, across the whole internet, I guess. Be interesting. Yeah, for sure. And that privacy aspect is definitely something that has kind of come to the forefront, especially over the last year or two, as we start seeing things like the whole Cambridge Analytica scandal and all of that kind of thing. If people have unique profiles for each website, but it's seamlessly done from their app, all they do is they scan a QR code and they're logged in. There's nothing else they've got to do. It's super, super simple, but incredibly private and arguably more secure than a username, a password, and a timed uh, one-time password on top of that, like an SMS authentication. It's more secure than that. Like, And you can do it. It's faster and it's easier. This is like a win-win situation for everybody involved. It's it's fantastic. So I'm so excited for the future where where we no longer have to use usernames and passwords anymore. <laughs> right. Yeah, and that'll that'll be the interesting thing. It's like when when that um, intersection happens of you know it's a better experience and then it's also more secure and um, and more private. So you know that 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 will be great once we get to that that point. Once we get to that, but again, it's it's a generational. Uh, mind shift. And so what we're seeing is obviously the likes of people who are coming, they've only just kind of gotten used to the internet over the last sort of five to 10 years. And they're used to using usernames and passwords. Again, this is now another shift. So we do have that sort of battle on our hands where this sort of thing could take another decade or two to truly catch on and truly get into every corner of the internet where people finally understand, you know what, usernames and passwords suck. Right. Don't use them. Right. Instead, we've got this this better way of doing things that's faster and it's easier, and you can do it all from your Digibyte app on your mobile phone. Yeah, that's that's a great reason to have the Digibyte app. Yeah. Great. Um, well, I think we can uh, wrap it up there. I just wanted to uh, say thank you again for, for coming to uh, the Abramoney 3.0 show and kind of uh, talking to us a little bit more about uh, the Digibyte community and kind of how it all operates. Um, I know as, as an outsider of the Digibyte community, it's just kind of always been something that's fascinating to me, especially as I hear from different parts uh, of the community um, kind of all over the world, but but nonetheless sort of unified in this this vision. Uh, so it's, it's really cool to see that. Um, so thanks again for joining us. Yeah, thank you so much for having me on your show. It's been an absolute honor and a pleasure. And if people want to find out more, the best thing that they can do is go and just search for Digibyte. Thanks again for listening to the Abramoney 3.0 show. We hope you liked this episode as much as we did. If so, please subscribe to the show wherever you get your podcasts and download the Abra app wherever you get your apps. Thanks again.